0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Great Scott Podcast. Today, I am joined by director, writer, producer, Mr. Don Roy King. How's it going, sir? I'm
1: terrific, Mike. How about you?
0: I'm doing good. Uh, now, are you up in New York? I am. How are things? I'm in
1: New York City, uh, just a few weeks away from another season of Saturday Night Live.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, that's one thing I was reading about. And uh, you've been on there now for, is it 13 seasons now?
1: I'm starting my 14th, you're right. Starting
0: your 14th season. So uh, what is the whole, talk about what it's like behind the scenes of getting everything ready. I mean, what goes on behind the scenes that we don't get to see?
1: Well, if you, if you had asked me 14 years ago, can the show even be done this way? I would have said, absolutely not. The show is just <laughs> too complex, too big. It's 12 one-act plays from scratch in addition to three or four films and uh, with, with a new host and, and the uh, Necessity to stage and and block all of this action and uh, and shoot it with cameras and that includes a a full newscast, comedy newscast, and weekend update and two giant music performances with a with a top uh, top blue ribbon music act and uh, the fact that it comes together essentially in four days uh, still astounds me.
0: Wow! Only four days.
1: Well, we have a quick meeting with a host on Monday, which really doesn't amount to more than saying hi and throwing out a few ideas. The writers write all day Tuesday or more likely all night Tuesday night into Wednesday. We have a big uh, uh, read through on Wednesday where we read just a uh, script in hand, just sitting around a big table, read as many as 40 sketches. Uh, Lauren, after hours of doing those readings, Lauren narrows it down to the 13 or so that will actually mount. And then Wednesday night, I take those selected scripts into another room and hand them over to people who are to begin work on Wednesday night. On things like set design, hair and makeup, wardrobe, special effects, uh, all, all, all the, the the music recording and the finding the discovery of music that we need, all of that happens starting Wednesday night. We come in Thursday and rehearse the guest band. Uh, each number gets two quick run-throughs so I can block cameras. We record a few promos, and then we do the easy sketches. Rehearse the easy sketches, the ones that can be done without scenery or props because they aren't ready yet, and uh, or things that we've done before, like a, an Oval Office sketch, something like that. Um, we may get we may get four or five done on Thursday. Each gets about an hour, where I block them on the floor, and then go into the control room and block the cameras. We come back in Friday, and now there is more to work with, and we do all of the rest of the sketches. Again, each gets about an hour's work. Uh, we uh, then we'll, uh, By that time, the coat open is ready uh, and, and the monologue, and we'll re- rehearse that late at night and uh, have a quick meeting with Lauren about hit the rundown for dress rehearsal the next day. Come back in at about noon on Saturday and run through every single sketch as quickly as we can, now with full props and makeup and costumes. And uh, take a quick lunch break, come back and uh, rehearse weekend update and then uh, and then do a dress rehearsal with as much as 20 minutes more material than we actually need in front of a fresh audience. And we run it like a real show all the way through. Uh, but that but again, it's it runs long. That ends about 1015. I'll go back up to Lauren's office at 1030. And now the entire show has been juggled. Two or three sketches have been thrown out. I'll get my script back and there'll be a hundred post-its in it. Each post-it has a change on that page. Uh, a new joke will be written in, or a whole page will be crossed out, or new characters will be written in, or a new ending. And I'll say, wait, wait a minute, we go on the air in, in 15 minutes. How are we going to do that? Uh, but we, I have a quick meeting with the cameraman to try to get them the changes that have been made between the dress rehearsal and air. And then at 1130, we fly and we uh, most of the time land
0: wow that's quite a schedule
1: and it still amazes me and it's primarily because the people who are there are the best at what they do i don't even get to see the the film units work until we play it back in dress rehearsal i don't really know what the costuming is or what the what what, what the final set look will be until until uh, the run through on saturday And these people who are brilliant and fast at what they do just sort of scatter on Wednesday and then they regather on Saturday and it all comes together.
0: Wow. So uh, I have to tell you, I mean, whenever I watch SNL, I mean, um, there's one guy in particular that I love watching whenever you guys give him the host and that is uh, Tom Hanks. I mean, he always seems to just kill it and just do it out out of the park. Just throw, just uh, that's one out of the park every time it seems.
1: I agree. And he is a wonderful man to work with too. Just so quiet and self-effacing and, and, and just willing to do anything and just pleasant. And, and in general, I must say that the hosts who come in uh, are fun to work with. I mean, there are big icons from different areas who have never done anything like this before. And they are They may be politicians or uh, rappers or movie stars uh, or big singers, and they come in kind of fish out of water and for the first time in a long time feel butterflies because they now have to be sketch comedians, and they are in almost every sketch, and they have uh, all kinds of different characters to play, and and, uh, it's, it's interesting to see how they handle it. When I first started, I thought, well, it's a good thing I'm a little older. I'll be able to deal with ego issues, but that has not been a problem at all. Certainly not for the hosts. It's not a problem for the cast members either, even Mm -hmm. though they are brilliant at what they do too and multi-talented in so many ways. It's just a fun place to be, and it's cool to put together a show that's designed to make people laugh and clap and, more recently, think. And uh, it feels like what we do is important, and it provides some healing to the country. It provides uh, uh, a a relief. It holds people accountable, and uh, it feels important. And that makes every single week uh, worth doing, and and there's never that sense of drudgery or oh we've done this before now we got to turn on another one or no is that it, there's that real spark that real elect- electricity in the air that real sense of this is show business and it's important and it even though the show's 45 years old it still uh it, it is relevant
0: i know i was going to say it's almost been around for almost 50 years now
1: and we uh I don't know that I'll make it to the 50th anniversary show, but this is year 45, and it uh, it's it, it still is fresh, and that's all because of Lauren Michaels. He just refuses to let it become a nostalgia show where people say, "Oh, I used to watch this in college. It's it's, you know, it's not as funny anymore, but let's let's watch it again just for old times' sake." No, he said, if it becomes a nostalgia show, he will walk away from it. He wants it to be fresh and envelope. They wanted to um, uh, push the envelope and make sure that what we do is relevant and 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 takes risks every single week.
0: That's also something I wanted to talk to you about. Was working with, or I guess for, Lauren Michaels, rather. um, uh, I think I've heard you say in another interview that uh, he's kind of an emotionalist kind of person. Because when you went in to go into the interview. He was kind of maybe a little bit cold when he went in there because you thought at the time maybe you didn't weren't going to get the job because of that. Right,
1: right. Well, he is a distant and, and he is uh, uh, quiet at the times and non-communicative and 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 seems to be uh, so tied up with all the details and and his, his stomach seems to be churning more than anyone else's and I sometimes think he's just not happy. Even though he should be and deserves to be, and I think all that—all of, all of that—is primarily because he is driven, and he is in, in insistent that the show be as good as it can be every single week. He refuses to coast. Now I, I don't know anybody who doesn't like to coast. You think, oh man, we've done this this kind of show before. This one will be easy. Or this is a host who used to be a cast member. This is going to be a, this is going to be a, 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 an easy week. He does not allow that to happen. He is so particular about every little detail that it makes all of us say, "Okay, I guess we got to we got to step up every single week." And uh, I have great great respect for for that drive, that commitment, and,
0: and that the purity of his vision. Yeah, I mean, his passion seems to still be going. Forty five years, almost fifty years, and fifty years later. That's exactly right. So uh, let's uh, talk about uh, life before SNL for you. Um, and I, I might have a little bit more SNL questions for you as the time goes on. But uh, Sure. Yeah. Uh, so before you um, got got that job, uh, I think that uh, what I was reading was that uh, you were hoping to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates one day. I think that was your dream at one time.
1: I, when, when I was 12, 12 yeah. Uh, I thought I, I, was a, I was a pretty active athlete and, uh, and didn't, uh, didn't grow enough to become a uh, professional, but I, uh, I love that feeling and, and love that competitive air and, and had that, uh, that drive and, and felt a real warmth in the teamwork of team sports, play a little baseball, basketball, football, uh, track, volleyball. And uh, I, that was my life. I mean, at one point though, uh I, I had a little back injury, and during the during the time I was forced out of sports uh, in junior high school, I, uh, I wandered into the auditorium, and Miss Bowden, the head of the curtain call club, said, "Do you want to audition for a play?" And I said, "Well, uh, sure, sure, I'll do it." And I got the acting bug for a while, and uh, found a love for theater, and uh, and maintained that love straight through my life. I mean, I returned to my love for sports and my competitive spirit, uh, but I found a great mix because directing a television show, especially a live one is very much like being a quarterback of a football team because you you're barking orders and you're calling the shots and you're watching the action as it happens and trying to follow that action and dependent upon the rest of your team to, to fill their roles. And, and, uh, and you keep your eye on the clock and uh I I love that feeling. I still get that that adrenaline rush every week when I'm calling the shots in, in Studio 8H. So uh yeah, it's
0: yeah, that's a beautiful beautiful studio. Um so there's one thing I wanted to ask you when you were uh when we we're talking about the whole SNL. Um is it harder for you well, I know you've done pre-taped stuff as well as live stuff, but um is it a little bit harder for you to uh direct live versus pre-taped
1: it's a separate set of skills and um uh, it's uh, it, it's not harder because uh i just um i've done it a long time and i i, I know how to do it it's not that the it's not that the challenge is, isn't as high but uh i i'm I, I just have pretty good focus and stay with the action and can adjust to, to changes very quickly and, uh, and ha- have that, have that strength. Um, in, in some ways doing pre-tape stuff is a little more of a drag because you, you know, it can be fixed and you may do it over and over again. And you don't have that sense of, okay, we've got to get it now. And, and, if, and if something goes wrong, we got to get by it and move, We'll move on because the clock continues to tick and the show's live, and we've got to get straight through to the, to the next thing. Uh, and, but, and that's not the same in, in pre taped work. However, uh, both have their, their rewards and both have their challenges, and, and I get a kick out of both. But if I had to pick one, it would be live television.
0: And uh, speaking of live television, you are the person who has directed more live network television than any other director in the history of, of this. We, well, I'll tell you the truth, Mike. I I kind of
1: made that up. Well, I didn't make it up. I, I, I just assumed. I don't think it's ever been tallied or uh, anybody's ever looked at the actual results before. But since I directed 21 years of morning television, where I was on the air for at least two hours every single day for all of those years... I don't think anyone else has had that kind of experiences of directing a live network. There may be somebody out there. I just don't know who it is. And, uh, but so I'll take, I'll take that label. If,
0: uh, if people don't aren't going to uh, contest it. And, uh, I mean, I'm I'm just looking at your very impressive resume here that, that you had sent me. Uh, you have been to 20 different countries and 38 States throughout your, uh, your amazing career. Well, directing uh, Good Morning America
1: and CBS This Morning and the early show uh, at a time when they would travel those shows often led me to get most of those assignments uh, where we would take the show on the road or we would go to a political convention or we would go to an international uh, trade conference and, and do the show live from there. We also did some travel shows where... We said uh, we're going to take you to five different vacation spots this week, and we would hopscotch around the country uh, to to uh, different places and set up a set up a set and do a live show from from um any, any from Yosemite or from uh, uh from miami uh, anyway, I, I did get to travel a lot and uh, and it was a thrilling opportunity.
0: And uh just to name some of the other shows besides uh, SNL that you have worked on is uh like I say, the early show, CBS This Morning, uh The Robin Quivers Show, um Good Morning America, uh Chris Angel Mind Freak and uh Day to Day with Rachel Ray and this is just a very impressive resume. Um where I mean, which is, so when you hear all that, uh, which ones um would you say are maybe your favorite and maybe uh somewhere maybe you'd like your least favorite to have worked on?
1: Well, uh, several of those were pilots, and, and pilots are by definition uh, hard to do, as you, you have nothing to, to go on. You're starting from scratch. You're working with crews you never worked with before. Working with a host who's maybe feeling his or her way in, 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 into the job, and and those pilots are usually less um, satisfying. Uh, I like I like an ongoing show where the machine is well oiled and you can either either make it provide the oil yourself and keep it going or step into someone else, to someone else's role was uh, provided the, uh, the the machinery prior to you. I think I liked that best. Uh, but um, in, in general, uh, just a, an ongoing show that stays fresh, stays current and, and, and has, on, uh, has ongoing challenges is what appeals to me most.
0: So you were 25 years old when you started working on the Mike Douglas show, but you, uh, I think, saw in the saw on the thing that you said, I mean, was that uh, 25 was a little bit too young for you to be directing uh, at, the, at, at such a national level. And the Mike
1: Douglas show was a, was a big daytime syndicated talk show. It's much like Ellen today. And it, uh, it, had, it was done in Philadelphia in a relatively small studio, but it had big, big names come in uh, in, in every field. And uh, Mike uh, had one sort of the, his gimmick was that he had a, a co-host every week. So one of those stars would be on every show and be highlighted. So I got to work much more intimately with those, with those uh, co-hosts. Uh, and uh, it was it was an amazing operation. And, uh, I, uh, we had, we had co-hosts like Jackie Gleason and, uh, Red Skelton and, um, um, Jerry Lewis, uh, and, uh, and John Lennon. We had, um, a, a amazing opportunity. I had an amazing opportunity to, 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 um, brush shoulders with uh, with these icons uh, from many, many areas. I was a little too young to appreciate how remarkable that was. And I, I, I in retrospect, wish I had a little more uh, maturity
0: to understand how special that was and how lucky I was. And you also are the recipient of nine Emmys as well for, for all your work.
1: Well, to tell you the truth, I think I have ten. Ten. Okay. But, uh, but, uh, but uh, Emmys are an interesting thing. I, I I won an Emmy again, too young. Uh, For my Show, I, I won an Emmy in 1976, and man, I thought, man, I th- this is, I reached the peak already. I'm only 26 years old, and I uh, I uh, overnight I became a jerk. Overnight, I thought, oh my God, I think God created television just so I could show off. <laughs> I treated people differently, and they treated me differently. You know, a producer would say, uh, could we bring the models for this fashion show? Could we bring them down this aisle over here and then circle them around this way? And i said, say, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I think we'll do it my way because uh, you don't have an Emmy, do you? Well, I do, so I think we'll do it my way. Right. And, I, and I was just full of myself. Well, Shortly after that, I was asked to serve on some Blue Ribbon panels that, that selected the, the daytime Emmy winners. And uh, unlike now, where they, they send they send uh, DVDs to you, uh, you had to go into a, an office building and sit there for a whole weekend watching the watching the nominees. And after about four shows, you say to yourself, "Oh man, I just put on something you know keep me awake. You know, <laughs> I, I I'm no longer judging how well something's directed. I'm now just just trying to watch the show and hope that it, that I can pay attention to it." And when I realized that that whole process of selection was a pretty um, um, inefficient one, I thought, "Wait, wait a minute, what was that show that I won for? I thought, oh, that's a show where Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly came on the same show and for the first time ever talked about old Hollywood. And it was fascinating. It was a fabulous show to hear those two old guys talk about what Hollywood was like in in the thirties and forties. And uh, when it was over, I thought, Wait a minute, I I got that statue not because it was well directed, because it could have been directed by a relatively bright parent, uh, because it was just you know shoot the guy who's talking. Uh, and, and it wasn't. So it was somebody in the office saying, Oh, this is a great show. Let's give the, let's give the statue to that director. Not that it was beautifully directed, but because it was a great show and it was a great show because Mike convinced those two guys to come in and come in and talk about their, their careers. And so since then I've realized that those kind of awards are not based on the, the tightly defined work and, and, um, and, and jobs of, of, of the individual people in those categories. It's based on a much broader vision. And right now I have, I direct a show that is a show off show, and it's written by brilliant people. It's performed by an amazing cast with remarkable uh, uh, hosts who come in. It's Lauren Michaels' show, and I stay out of the way and I catch, capture the action on camera but it's not brilliant direction that's getting me those statues. It's a brilliant show. And I've won eight now for Saturday Night Live, and I'm proud of it. And, and certainly will keep the statues. But I don't feel it's a sign that I'm uh, a, a brilliant director. I just happen to be working on a brilliant show.
0: And that's—I uh, have to tell you—I mean, I, I love that humility, that humbleness, because uh, you see a lot of, like you say, egos inside of show business, and um,
1: yeah.
0: it, it's really nice to, to hear the, the humbleness that uh, that you have, sir. Well, well,
1: well thank you. But it's it, it, at one time I was just as ego-driven and, and just as full of myself as anyone, and it's human nature. It's easy to understand how that happens, and right. and I feel sorry for people like. Mike tyson, who are thrust in in, in, the, in the fame out of nowhere uh and and of course they they're gonna have trouble handling it and and now he's circled around to be to pretty be a, a, a pretty solid settled guy himself so it, it, it's possible to overcome that
0: oh absolutely absolutely so uh there is one s n l cast member I want to ask you about uh, about the whole ordeal, and i don't know how much of it you can talk about or uh, or not but um Pete Davidson. Yes. When he was with the Ariana Grande thing and then he fell into his laps of uh, depression and anxiety. Yes. Uh, was, was Lauren there to, to help out? I mean, were, were you guys there to just uh, kind of help help him out to be able to focus and come back on the show?
1: Uh, I, I'm not uh, intimately involved in the, uh, personal lives of anybody on that show. Okay. I do know, however, it's a tight team, it's a very open, warm, receptive team, and that in general, we were, uh, we were and certainly Lauren was uh, very empathetic to, to what Pete was going through. Um, Pete's an interesting um, character in many ways. When he first got the job, it wasn't because he was a, a, a brilliant uh, improviser or a sketch comedian or even an actor. He just was a, 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 a sharp, funny, uh, edgy kid uh, who who did stand up that, ha- that had that uh, had an appeal that we could we could sense would uh, would uh, get us the the internet crowd, and uh, and he struggled with uh, early acting and and reading cue cards and playing different characters and 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 he was uh, he was. A limitation in, in in some ways, uh, but he uh, he he caught on right away. Hey, wait, I just uh, I'm gonna have to hold for just a second. But somebody at my door. Oh, okay.
0: Oh, no, I'm back. Um,
1: and um, then um, then he he there's some issues with how He was. I thought he may be just a, just a, um, an obnoxious kid who was going to get full of himself because he caught on and he was famous and, and, and making a big splash and, and getting a lot of attention from the press and from fans and from uh, comedy clubs. Um, and I thought he would turn into a jerk overnight. But you know something? He did not Kind of just the opposite. He thought, oh, man, I've got to take some responsibility here because people are looking up to me and I'm in the public eye and and, and I've got to to clean up and shape up. And he did. And he – I I don't know anything about his his psychological issues, but uh, as just a, a working pro, he's become a joy to work with.
0: It it really seems like, and it. it seems like his life has taken a one hundred and eighty turn from what what it was, say like a year or two ago uh, versus now. He seems to be in a lot of
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, if if Ariana Grande s- suddenly wanted to date me, I uh, it would change me too, and I would see <laughs> I'd think, oh, I, uh, maybe I've got more to offer than I thought, and uh, that that can screw you up in, in and of itself.
0: Right. And then
1: then that relationship ends. Any relationship that ends can can uh, affect people deeply. And and when it happens in public, when it happens, I mean, really in public, it's even more crushing and and potentially harmful. And uh, uh, I think he's a great
0: guy and he's got a great future. And uh, there's one more SNL cast that I wanted to ask you about, was your announcer, uh, Daryl Hammond, who's just been for Don ever since his death uh, quite beautifully. And uh, he's a guy who kind of went through psychological stuff as well while at SNL. Yes.
1: Well, once again, I don't know anything more than what the public knows. And uh, uh, my dealings with him were always... um, uh, just on a professional basis, uh, I find him uh, engaging and thoughtful, and quiet, and uh, and he's um, he's a sensitive, interesting guy. When he was still in the cast, uh, my first couple of years, uh, he he struggled a little bit because he just he wasn't comfortable with uh, the mechanics of of where to go and what to pick up and when to look at cars and and, and he just uh he has insecurities about about acting um, despite the fact he's a brilliant one of our finest uh, uh, impersonators and uh i, I find he I, i've seen him do his stand-up routine as well in, in a club and he's he's a genius uh, but he's got insecurities and he's got uh, a, a certain certain phobias that that, uh, creep into his life. Um, But uh, just another
0: interesting but brilliant guy. And uh, like you had mentioned before, it seems like that uh, Lauren does keep a tight knit there um, as far as uh, like it being one big family. I mean, I've I've heard that Daryl say that Lauren was there for him and, and supported him throughout his um, dealings. And uh, uh, just to piggyback on what it was that you said there.
1: Well, I, as much as Lauren can be cold and distant, he also can be uh, remarkably sensitive and, and uh, protective. And he is uh, he's really good to uh, to all of us in, in in unusual ways. You know, a guy who, who you might not even get a nod from in the hallway will, will send you a, a beautiful birthday gift <laughs> and uh I, you know, and to some degree, I think maybe it's calculated. I, I I could be wrong. I mean, everybody on the show does psychoanalysis of Lauren, uh, and, and mine could be just as off as anybody's. But I had a feeling that some of it's calculated because he knows that he's surrounded by people who are brilliant at what they do. Uh, and there are therefore going to be some competing egos you know, the lighting director is going to be uh, angry at the set designer because he brought in shiny wallpaper oh, and, yeah. say, and, and they, they will scream at each other. But if one of them can say, well, that's what Lauren wants, that shuts everything down because as brilliant as we all think we are and as, <laughs> as good at what we do, uh, the egos get, get um, sub- suppressed because we say, well... It's really lauren's vision. It's not my vision as a lighting director or my vision a as a scenic designer it's lauren's vision, and we are here to serve him and we trust his vision. we believe in it we we survive because of it we we are, are successful because of it so uh that comes first so all of all of those ego issues get kind of uh, covered up or at least contained because uh, because we want to please Lauren.
0: Absolutely, I I agree with you. I mean, he he is the one who has made the show to be what it is throughout for forty five years, and so. Uh, but uh, Mr. King, I I could talk to you about SNL for hours on end, but I have one more question I want to ask you. Um, sure. Uh, what advice uh, would you give to someone who wants to get into uh, maybe directing or show business and in, in general? Well, I
1: spent a lot of time talking to, to kids, uh, especially college kids who have that dream. And, and I have a variety of uh, observations that, 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 that I find helpful or they seem to find helpful. And, and it's all reflective of, of what I went through. Uh, I, I, had many opportunities and been lucky along the way and've had a great career that that continues and I, I, and I'm proud of that. but much of it has to do with uh, um, making decisions along the way that start with that start with um, work ethic. and I know it's helpful in a, in a creative field to have brilliant ideas and, and, and have, a, a, have a vision for for how you want work. To, to, to be done, how you want stories to be told. But to me, what comes first and what gets noticed first and what will serve you best in the long run is a work ethic, which means you show up on time, you do what you're asked to do, you do it as well as you can, you offer to do more, and you don't complain. And those are the people who, who, who come in without a sense of entitlement, who come in with a, a, an obligation to the work comes first. And are there to help, no matter how trivial or menial it seems, to just fill in the gaps and, and, and help solve problems. And then you can help solve the, the bigger pictures of how can we make this better or funnier or more important or, uh, or, or resonate more. So uh, uh, that's that, that's the starting point of the advice, I I'll give you another another one, and that is be careful of the theory that the uh, philosophy of uh, just get your foot in the door, pick a, pick a place where you would love to work and just get your, get that first entry level job. Well, everywhere I've worked, every big network I've worked is filled with young, bright, talented, frustrated kids. And they're frustrated because it is so easy to get stuck in those entry level jobs. You become a receptionist at Saturday night live or like cue cards for the tonight show. And you think, Oh, everybody's going to get to know me. And they'll, and when the next job opens up, I'll, I'll move up and up and up and within, within this operation. But what happens more often than it should, more often than you think it does is that you get in there and answer phones and sure enough, people get to like you and say, oh, we finally found somebody who's good at answering the phones and man, she's, he's funny and he, everybody likes him and knows who he is. And while there's a, a PA position opened up, a production assistant position opened up, and he's kind of earned the right to move up to that, but he's never done that before. He's never been a PA. And if I move him up to that, I'll have to train him to be a PA. And more importantly, I'll have to find somebody else to answer the phones. We finally found somebody who's good at answering the phones. Let's just keep him where he is. Let's get an experienced PA from the outside to come in and fill that right PA position. They're lined up at the door. Experienced PAs would love to work at Saturday Night Live. Let's get an experienced one. We'll play it safe. So those entry-level people get stuck in what they in, in, in what are what they are doing and more importantly what they're getting better at on a day-to-day basis is not writing or producing or directing or acting they're getting better at answering phones right so i say be very careful of that entry level position philosophy i say find a place more much more likely a small place where you can do the kind of work you want to do the soonest and that may mean a cable company or a Station in a smaller market it might mean uh, an, an Internet uh, show. It may need a, a group of friends who get together and, and, and make shows for themselves. That's where you're going to get better at what you want to do. And, uh, and that's where you're going to get discovered, I think, in, in a job where you're doing the kind of work you want to do
0: the soonest that you can do it. That is uh, really good advice. That's one thing that they told me on uh, when I was working at, at Paramount Studios, the exact same thing, that one,
1: wow.
0: that you said. So. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's fun to work in television. It's very stressful, hard work, but at the same time, very fun, hard, stressful work. Exactly. But uh, Mr. King, I appreciate your time, sir, and thank you so much for coming on.
1: My pleasure. I enjoyed it.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'm 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 glad. But uh, hey, uh, good luck with everything, and uh, much continued success in, in in your career, sir. Thank Thank you, and good luck to you too. All right, thank you.
1: Bye bye. Bye bye.